It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. Life is full of unexpected surprises. I feel like that is almost rhetorical in that statement. We had some really interesting challenges prior to starting this episode with our guest Gresham today and and didn't know if this episode was going to happen. But through the grace of God and technical support, we are back on and doing our thing. And I was telling Gresham that sometimes the pre-show banter is so good that I'm like, wait, 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 we got to stop. We got to stop. We got to save this. We got to save this. So we were flowing and, and getting into some really interesting subject matters. And I wanted to just flip it back real quick and start this episode by talking about some of those unexpected setbacks in life. And, and Gresham and I were bonding over the fact that we're huge sports fans, former basketball players, and have also experienced a litany of pretty scary, challenging injuries through basketball. And, you know, it's interesting because I feel like in some ways when we have when we have setbacks in life, it can be very, very easy to get down on ourselves and, and get into that depressive state. And why should I even bother? And this is too hard. And am I ever going to be normal again? And I had mentioned to Gresham that sometimes the mental side of a comeback and getting ourselves back into playing shape or getting ourselves back into a state of health and vitality Sometimes the mental side is way, way harder than the physical effort. And so I wanted to kick this episode off in somewhat of a maybe unconventional way, Gresham, in in touching on the idea of mental resilience when we are facing tough stuff in our life. And and you were telling me that you had a a pretty gnarly Achilles injury, Achilles tendon tear. And so I want to I want to kick it off with that. You know, talking about you overcoming these injuries when you were in athletics and, and also how that sort of scenario in life sets you up for dealing with other challenges. So I'd love to kick it off there. And also, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you, man. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here as well. And and you're absolutely right where this, uh, the tech snafus are kind of like a microcosm of like everything that can sometimes happen, you know, in life and, and how to try to, you know, get through them and continue on. But my love was always basketball. That was my go-to and that's what I always did. And before we jumped on, you were asking, you know, if I played any pickup or anything like that. And and I was saying, you know, not as much anymore. And it was largely because of the Achilles tendon tear that I had, you know, uh, before I even started my business and, and did all of those things. And fast forward a lot of years, I wanted to, you know, start a business and that was kind of always my goal. And I didn't have everything and all the duck the, you know, everything set up in order to do that. But I was like, Hey, there's something that I want to do. So I left the job that I had that I didn't feel like was really a great job. And I said, Hey, I'm going to start doing at that time freelance writing. But I wanted to make sure that I was, you know, mentally in shape, but also physically in shape. So I was like, Hey, I haven't played basketball in a while. So let me go, you know, shoot some hoops and and play a pickup game. So I, I went to this church and I was just shooting. We were playing a pickup game. And I was telling Jason, like, I felt this like hammer. It felt like slamming to the back of my leg. And I looked and there was like nobody behind me. 
And it was probably one of the most painful injuries I had. So I had to like literally push myself with my legs off the court and everybody just, you know, went back and forth. But I ended up driving all the way back home, did all of that. And I was probably about 45 or so days out of leaving that job that I had. So I was about maybe 15 days, two weeks or so away from the insurance that probably would have taken care of it. So all of that happened. I was like, I was researching, doing the Google uh, MD track to try to figure out what was going on. And I, and I eventually was like, okay, I probably, and I might have tore my Achilles tendon. So I eventually went to the doctor and the doctor couldn't even touch my leg. And that's kind of what led me to, you know, being in what I call a, a very dark place. I couldn't literally get around. So my dark place was literally just in my bed. But I, I was trying to do something bold. I really said, okay, I, I really have entrepreneurial tendencies. I want to really start something. So I want to make take bold action. And it didn't go according to plan at all. It was one of the darker moments that I think I've had. But now I can say, like, you know, going years forward, that it actually was something that I needed to to have happen. I, I say I'm hard-headed enough that if probably if I didn't tear my Achilles tendon, I would have been, you know, bouncing around doing a bunch of different things. But I think at that time, it's just, you know, I wasn't a happy camper. I was sad. I was embarrassed because I was trying to do something bold and it didn't work out. But I think, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and it was something that kind of led me there. But I wish that I can say that I, you know, I knew that I was going to, you know, build myself up from that. But it was me at that time, pouring myself into like interviews and the blog that I have and all of those things where I couldn't do anything else. That what is what kind of was like the light at the end of the tunnel was reminding me of where I wanted to be. But it, it was still a dark time because you never know how those things are going to come out. So for me, it was a gradual process. I can say now that definitely it happened for a reason, but I didn't know at that time. Yeah, I think it's interesting to talk about sort of these moments in our lives where I feel like you know, when we're in, we're in a point of pain or suffering or depression or sadness, as you're talking about, Gresham, it, it to me feels sometimes when I'm in those, those positions in my life, it feels like they're never going to end. Like intellectually, we know they're going to end, right? On one level, we know, you know, I'm not going to be at this level of pain. I'm not going to be at this level of despair for the rest of my life. But in a way, when we're d that deep in it and we're that deep down the well, it sure feels that way, doesn't it? It's like, when am I going to be out of this? And so, you know, as you're coming out of this injury and you're, you're getting your strength back, you're going through, I assume you're going through physical therapy to get, you know, your, your function back. You know, what's that process of coming out of that darkness for you? Because I feel like as humans, Whitney and I talk extensively about mental health here. We talk about depression, suicidal ideation. We talk about people's origin stories. That's something we really love to get into is get those deep, soulful, personal stories. So as you're recovering, as you're getting your strength back, how did that process inform you as an entrepreneur, as a man, to face the uncertainty and the pain and the suffering that is inevitably going to find us all in life? You know, how did that set you up for, for I guess, being more resilient? I don't want to use the word tougher, but being more resilient and trusting that, yeah, I can make it through this darkness and find the light on the other side of it. Yeah, I think that's a, a great question. And, and as you said, like the process was definitely, you know, I didn't tear my Achilles completely, so I didn't have to have surgery, but I still had to have the cast, you know, cast after cast, going through PT, learning how to walk again. I remember even, you know, figuring out how to take my toes and pick up marbles and move them from side to side. Just all those things you take for granted. You start to really appreciate, you know, all the things that 
you're able to do on a regular basis. And I always kind of bring myself back there to understand like even the process of everything, because I think especially with starting a business or just anything in life, it's I, I tell myself all the time it's a marathon and I try not to get caught up in, you know, you want to make sure you're staying focused on the day to day. But you don't want to get so caught up in, you know, where you're going to be or trying to move too fast to where you cheat yourself of the process, but also maybe even stir up a lot of that frustration on things not moving as fast as you want them to go. So for me, like that time was really that me realizing that no matter how much I wanted to start walking again, I had to remove one cast to get another cast. I had to learn how to, you know, get, you know, to one crutch and and another. And it's just a whole entire process. So you can't really treat that process. So for me, it made me kind of respect the process to do anything, whether it be starting a business or learning a new skill or a hobby or whatever it might be, that I have to really get present with that. And of course, it's always a process that I have to really learn from. But it's something that I always go back to that, that moment because I took a lot of things for granted because you just assumed everything was going to go the way that you want them to go. And when they didn't go the way you want them to go, that's when you really find out like who you are. That's when you get to that, that resilience or that mental toughness because things will not go 100% how you want them to go. But how are you going to react to that? And that's something that I challenge myself. And if I ever kind of get in that place, I say, okay, you did the Achilles. You were able to get through that. You were able to get through the physical part, but also the mental part of being stuck in bed and not being able to get your own food and things like that. So you can get through a lot if you're able to get through that. To bring up a couple basketball analogies real quick, and Whitney's laughing because she's like, oh man, is this whole episode just going to be about basketball wisdom and analogies? It might, it might. But I, I legit feel though, Gresham, what you reminded me of was was last year, right before the NBA finals with the Lakers and the Heat, they were talking to Jimmy Butler and Pat Riley sort of about their philosophy as a team that there's, you know, we hear a lot about with sports teams and also companies that there's like a culture, like what's the culture of the team? What's the culture of a company? And he was saying about, you know, when you get tested by life, when you get these challenges, you really find out who you are and what's inside of you. And, and Pat Riley and Jimmy Butler were talking about their whole team philosophy about a lemon. They said, what happens when you squeeze a lemon? He said, well, you get lemon juice. And Pat Riley said to Jimmy, he said, exactly. He said, when you're squeezed in life, what's inside of you comes out for everyone to see. So this sort of lemon juice analogy is like, yeah, when you get squeezed in life, when you face setbacks, challenges, suffering, pain, confusion, what the hell am I going to do next? It really does start to reveal, I think, deeper parts of who we are, maybe things that we've never even accessed before. You know, I know certainly that that there have been times in my life and Whitney as well, we've been through a lot as friends and, and business partners that times of strife, you know, financial hardship this past year we've all lived through, right? I got to see some sides of myself on a deeper level that I hadn't really acknowledged or fully seen yet. And so I think your story, Gresham, is is poignant in the sense that those are the moments in life. It's not that there's not value in happy moments or joyful moments or celebrating, right? But I don't necessarily think those moments reveal as much about ourselves as the tough times do. You know, it's, it's really getting through the muck and the darkness that we're like, wow, not only did I survive that, but I learned a whole lot about myself. And the other thing too, you know, you talk about slowing down and you talk about taking time to appreciate the things that you took for granted. And I think it, it really is important to take this in when we're in a moment 
with digital tech and social media, things we talk, Whitney and I talk a lot about of this go, 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 hustle, hustle, grind, grind, grind all the time, like this constant pressure where you see business leaders, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, authors, et cetera, whatever, always preaching the gospel of hustle and grind. And it's like, sometimes in life, I think it's more important to play at your own pace. Again, another basketball analogy, right? Play at your own pace. And then you make the game fit around you. And so, you know, I'm wondering, you know, if that mentality still translates in your business right now as an entrepreneur, where you play at your own pace and you don't get caught up in the stuff that you see on social media about people telling you how to run your business or how you should do your promotions. How do you find your lane and how did you find your lane amidst all that noise? Because it's so easy to get caught up in the noise. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's a very valid point. And, and like even like during, you know, when I tore my Achilles, one of the things that I, I wanted to remind myself of is I, I started to get, I guess, hardened to some degree, like even as I was recovering, like I, my friend had a wedding and it was in New York and they were like, oh, you're not going to come to the wedding because I know you tore your Achilles. I said, no, I'm coming to this wedding. And I'm literally, you know, on crutches, on the bus, taking that five hour bus ride to do that. So as you said, you know, the lemon, I guess the lemon juice that was in me was just like, okay, this, this hurts, this sucks, but I want to try to not have it dictate my life. And that's what kind of came out of me, you know, from that. And, and that's how I've tried to approach, you know, things in my life. I think so many times, you know, especially when you're younger, you start to see or believe that you should be X, Y, and Z or A, B, and C because so-and-so says that or because everybody's doing that, whether we're talking about, you know, you being on social media channels or this is how you should run your business or you need to be a speaker or whatever that might be, however that manifests itself. For me, I am a big believer in when you're young, and, and when I'm talking about young, I'm talking about really young. A lot of times there's seeds planted of who you are and what makes you who you are. So I always go back to that. I always go back to like I, I started a family newspaper when I was like 10 years old. My dad went TDY. He was in the military. So I like creating and writing and doing all those things. And that's something I always went back to when I was trying to figure out who I wanted to be and who I was. I went back to that story because for me, it was something that was unique. It was something I did not to get any popularity at that time. I was just trying to connect with my dad and, of course, sell some subscriptions to make a little extra dollars and things like that. But that's something that made me who I was and feel like I and that's what I feel like I always go back to, you know, that creation piece, that creation of content piece. But I will say this, like it's it was definitely a process and I tried to be you know, other people. I tried to do what everybody else tried to do, but it didn't feel right. I tried to try on those shoes, so to speak, and it didn't fit. I didn't feel genuine. I didn't feel like I was authentic. I didn't feel like I was running my own business. And I almost felt like if I wanted to, my goal was to start a business and really to hopefully, you know, make an impact and, and create change. If I have to do that by being somebody else, I might as well just, you know, get the nine to five job and just do the regular whatever it is that I didn't necessarily want to do. If I can't do and run my life and approach my life in the way that is in alignment with who I am, then what's the point of me even doing it? So it's kind of, you know, tapping into that, you know, same mentality that I had when I tore my Achilles where I'm just going to try to do it my way if it doesn't work out, then so be it, but I'm going to try. And there's nothing worse than the pain of regret. So I try to tap into that and, and just stay true to that in every aspect and try to, you know, have that filter of, okay, is this in alignment with who I am? Not saying that I'm afraid to try things, but still, you know, tapping into like who I am and, and going forward from there. 
I love that. It's so incredibly important. And I'm curious, what is your process for tuning into yourself? Because that's something that I'm constantly reflecting on. I think it's a long process to understand ourselves and who we are because we have to brush away, chip away, dig away at all these different elements of ourselves and all these layers that we've accumulated over time. And I find that many of those layers are other people's influences or society's influences, right? We have so many things at play. You know, each of us has some sort of story we have in our head. And then, of course, there's a lot of timely and and cultural messaging out there that can get in the way and cause us to think that we're less than or, you know, that we're never going to make it because of who we are, who we were born as. So I'm curious, what has that process been for you, Gresham, as you've tried to really figure out who you are so that you can be in alignment? Yeah, I think it's a always um, evolving process. I almost feel like you never really truly feel like you understand all the different aspects of yourself. But for me, a lot of it is just trying things, trying different things, like I mentioned, you know, and seeing what works and what doesn't work for me has been absolutely huge. But I'm kind of maniacal about understanding myself, you know, taking the Myers-Briggs test, all of these different kind of personality tests just to try to get an idea of who you are. But I think what makes it probably a little bit more difficult is we're evolving, just like, you know, businesses, just like life itself, we're changing and evolving too. So something that I might not have liked 10 years ago, I might love now. But I think really, you know, drilling down and working, and for me, it's just absolutely trying things and seeing what works and what doesn't work is what helps me to kind of understand that. But I always try to get really, really, I guess, alone or in a quiet space to really question myself and meditate on different things that I'm trying or different things that might be certain ideas. Because I think when I do that, it gets a little less noisy. It, it, you know, you don't take away the history or the culture or all of those aspects. But I think when you get really quiet and you're by yourself to some degree, you have only yourself to kind of answer to. And I think when you're able to do that, it allows that to happen. So that's usually kind of like what I go through. It's not like very, very structured. And, but I feel like it's something that has helped guide me to where I am now. It doesn't mean that everything I do is completely in alignment, but I'm always trying to get more and more in alignment, trying to fulfill, you know, my goals and my aspirations and my gifts on a, on an even deeper level. That's awesome. It's it's interesting that you touched upon the personality tests because that's something that I've been very drawn to over time and we've talked about some of them. And I actually just started watching a documentary that I haven't finished yet. So I can only speak on maybe the first half of it. But have you heard of the new HBO documentary called Persona? I haven't. So it's interesting because the subtitle is The Dark Truth Behind Personality Tests. And that's what intrigued me. And I have to say, it wasn't captivating enough. It felt a little drawn out. And that was part of the reason I haven't finished it yet. I don't really get the point of the documentary at this time. However, it is an, inv an investigation into our cultural infatuation with personality testing and the origins behind them. And they really go deep into Myers-Briggs, which I, I found 
really fascinating. And some people believe that it has a bit of a troubled past. In fact, a lot of these quizzes are used in workplaces to discriminate against others, whether it's racially, around sex, gender, mental capabilities. There is a a guy in this documentary in the part that I've seen thus far who's had a lot of mental health challenges, and he found that he was being rejected from jobs because they were forcing him to take tests like Myers-Briggs. And then based on his results, they would decide if he was qualified or not. And he felt like, wow, like you're not going to hire me because I'm an introvert. You're not going to hire me because there's one part of my personality that you think means that I'm going to show up in a certain way. And so I'm kind of interested in like what you drew from Myers-Briggs and how it plays a role in your life. And as part of this conversation for each of us, you know, really reflecting on the reasons we're drawn to personality tests and are they really telling us the truth or are they giving us another label that might even not be something that benefits us? That's a big question I'm asking myself. Yeah, I think that's a really valid question. I haven't heard of that, but I'm definitely going to check it out now. And I almost feel like for me, you know, the the personality test has been a way that I use and understand myself to kind of know where my, I guess my zone is, my zone of genius, so to speak. And where I I use it more so as a tool, not as a box. And I think for a lot of things, especially, you know, we can talk about tests, we can talk about educational tests. There's a lot of biases that go into the people that create those. And I think that we have to look at those things. But I think a lot of times people use tests in order to place people in boxes or say somebody can't do X, Y, and Z, and they don't have a kind of a holistic look at what it takes to like build a team or maybe run a business or to do it on a great level, at least I should say, or an impactful level. And I think so many times people will manipulate things in order to have what they consider to be their goal, their personal prerogative, whatever that might be. They're going to use a test. They're saying, okay, this person is an introvert, so I don't want to hire introverts. So I'm going to use that as a reason for you know not hiring that person without drilling down and actually getting to know that person. So for me, personality tests are simply, and it's not just one. So Myers-Briggs was one. There's another one called True Colors. There's a lot of different ones. I personally have used it as a way to kind of see myself and understand my tendencies, not to put myself in a box, but more so understand like, how can I respect my, uh, my strengths and my understandings, but know how somebody else who's completely different, not wouldn't jive with me, but actually could compliment me and can create a more holistic and stronger team. So I almost am attracted to people who are different more so because that provides an opportunity for us to kind of grow strong together rather than people saying, which is often what happens, I think, in a lot of businesses and organizations. And I see it a lot in sports as well, too, is where we get this kind of I want to be around people that look like me, that talk like me, that think like me, because I want to be comfortable rather than, okay, I want to actually grow and be better and make a bigger impact. So I use these sets to get around people who are actually not like me so that I can grow as a person where iron sharpens iron. So that's what I feel, you know, overall. But that's interesting. I definitely want to check that out for sure. I think it's interesting because I feel like maybe in certain circumstances, Gresham, people might surround themselves with people who look like them, act like them, talk with like them, have similar backgrounds as you're alluding to. Because it is comfortable. And I also think 
maybe people are looking for a certain level of of like ego validation, right? Is is if I have people who think like me and have the same life perception, then they're constantly reaffirming my belief system. My belief system never gets challenged. My prejudices never get challenged. My short-sightedness never gets challenged. And to your point, we don't ever get the kind of growth we would get by, you know, the, you said iron sharpens iron. The friction, literally what I thought of when you said that is the friction of like, okay, I want to put myself in conversation with a person who might not have the same political beliefs, the same religious beliefs, the same worldview. But if I can come to it with a level of respect and love and openness, I don't have to agree with that person. Like, I think that's one big thing in our society right now is realizing that even if I don't agree with you, I can still respect and love and care for you, right, as a human being. And maybe not even love. Maybe that's going a little too far. But at least the base level of respect and be open to your perspectives and your worldview, even if I disagree with it. And I feel like a lot of what's happening right now, you know, Whitney and I talk a lot about cancel culture. We talk a lot about, you know, if one human being, you know, and there are obviously many gradations of whether or not we see it as malicious or we see it as a mistake. But I think endemically, we're not coming together and having the type of discourses you're talking about where it's like, okay, I know this is going to make me uncomfortable, but I'm going to head right into this conversation or this situation or invite certain types of people into my, my business, my sphere, my team, because it's about the collective good. It's not necessarily about me being comfortable, right? And me, 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 what do I want? But through this experience, it's hopefully going to help everybody grow. And I think, I think that comes down to leadership. I mean, it seems to me that, you know, you as an entrepreneur, having that mentality, having that growth mentality means you are willfully putting yourself and I don't, I'm I'm asking, I guess, I don't want to assume Gresham, but that you are willfully choosing to put yourself in uncomfortable circumstances. Like you seem, at least in our, in our first, you know, whatever, half hour together, you're a dude who's wired like that. Like you seek that out. Is that accurate? Do you seek out those uncomfortable type of situations because you know it's going to help you grow? Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it. You know, definitely I I do know that that's where, you know, growth happens. But I think often it's just because I have been like kind of the other in many situations throughout my life. Like even, you know, if we go all the way back to me growing up, like I was in gifted classes. So often I was the only kid that looked like me, you know, in a lot of those classes. So I always felt different. I always didn't feel like I belonged to some degree. And I think that, it's not something that I guess I always seek out. It's just, I guess that's just who I am. And that's just the comfort. That's how I was, I guess, grown, how I grew up and just all the things that I saw. So I think so many times, you know, especially with leaders, you have to want to get outside of your comfort zone in order for that to happen. You don't realize that. I think so many times we get caught up in this is our comfort zone. This is what's good. We don't realize or even try to see if something on the other you know, side is potentially even better. Nobody tries those things because people are so stuck into like, this is how I feel comfortable. This is, you know, as you said, these are a validation for my belief systems. So I don't really have to have those other conversations. So for me, I mean, I think I'm often not, you know, filled up with a room of people, even though I went to an HBCU. But even once you start to drill down, you start to realize that people think differently. They have different, you know, viewpoints and feelings and so on and so forth. So yeah, I do constantly seek that out. And I almost... I, I don't feel as comfortable when I am in a room sometimes virtually or in person when everybody's thinking the same things or I'm getting validated to feel like I'm great or I have the best ideas. I almost 
push back against that. And I don't necessarily want to be around that. And I don't know exactly why, but that is something that I don't want because I know I can always be better. And I don't get better by someone kind of patting me on the butt and saying, hey, you're great. You're doing everything perfectly and you don't have any room to grow because that's just not the case. We had a previous guest, a psychotherapist named Dr. Kathleen Smith. And one of my favorite quotables that you just reminded me of from that episode, Gresham, was, you know, she she basically said to paraphrase, there's no amount of praise that's going to help you grow. Like we don't grow through praise. And that hit me. I remember when she said that in real time, I was like, you know, I was thinking back to like my childhood or sports, right? And a coach or my parents be like, good job. You did great. Yeah. You're awesome. You know, you're... You're the best center who's going to be a point guard before you know it. That's a little backstory. Gresham and I both had uh, early growth spurts, and we were both centers on the basketball team, power forwards. And then all of a sudden, everybody else grew, and we're like, oh, yeah, we're not the tallest anymore. A little as a side note. But it's interesting to think about that, right? That praise doesn't help us grow. But if we think about it, I think, for me at least, there there was a belief system that it did. That if I got the right amount of encouragement— or encouraged others that that would help with growth. Maybe it affirms your sense of self. Maybe it's a confidence booster, but sense of who you are and confidence is not the same as growth. These are all very different things. So I've been tripping on that because since her episode came out, I've just been thinking about that of like, wow, I've been trying to grow through praise for a long time and realizing that hasn't really been the key. It's like, No, what if I put myself in a situation where I'm not being patted on the back all the time? It's like on Clubhouse, which which hopefully we'll do a room with you, Gresham. We were also talking about that before before the episode. When Elon Musk was on there like a month and a half ago, people were asking him about entrepreneurship. And I can't remember exactly what the question was, but his response was, if you need reassurance or praise, you shouldn't be an entrepreneur. And I was like, damn, that was cold, but that was real. You know, because I I, really, though, I feel like whether it's us as artists or entrepreneurs or the melding of those worlds, you talk about your writing, Gresham, and and your creativity, there's a lot of solitude in that process, right? I mean, I think the three of us can agree that any creative endeavors we've done from, you know, video to podcasting to writing, there's a lot of alone time. And oftentimes in that solitude of creation, there isn't someone coming up in our office going, you're doing a great job. Here's a cookie. Like, we're just alone doing our thing for hours and hours and hours. And so it begs the question, if perhaps we're used to getting that praise and we jump into a solo endeavor or entrepreneurship, which can be sometimes crazy as hell, and it can be really tough to run your own business. I suppose this is for both of you, Gresham and Whitney, without getting that praise from external sources, how do we keep ourselves moving forward and growing with all of that alone time, with all of that doubt that creeps in, with all of that, what the hell am I even doing anymore? Because I have so many moments like that, you know, where I'm just like, what in the hell am I doing? And I kind of lose my faith in what I'm doing. So without that pat on the back and the cookie, how do both of you keep yourselves going? For me, it's so it's so funny, you know, the, the guest, she said that because I, and I haven't read, uh, I've been looking a lot for this. There's this uh, concept, it's called like the dark side. And I think it all taps into like how and what motivates you. I think sometimes people get motivated and I don't think there's enough about, at least I couldn't Google and find enough about the dark side. And like sometimes getting motivated from negative things, 
you hear it a lot in sports. Like you definitely hear like Tom Brady, you know, he's, you know, whatever, 198 or whatever number, you know, pick he was. So he's always having that chip on his shoulder to try to show people that he's better. That's something that I don't think necessarily works for everybody, but I find that that works for me. So, but it's a very, it's a balance being because you don't want to get too much in the dark side where you're filling yourself up with such negativity that you start to believe it and you start to go off the deep end and don't really focus on what you're ultimately trying to do. But I think for me, tapping into that to try to prove to other people, which, you know, again, you don't want to be so outwardly focused that you're losing sight of why you're doing what you're doing. But if you can tap into like who you are, what you do, what your goal is, what your gift is, and you can revert that energy, that frustration, that pain, whatever it is into those positive things. And you can show two people, maybe not face to face, but just doing it just for a validation that, hey, I did this. I, I think that has helped me out, you know, tremendously. But I think too, like I just started to like read a lot. I read a lot of, you know, people that were successful and how I considered them successful and realized that it wasn't a straight line and it didn't happen overnight. And even though when I first started, I, I said, it didn't happen for them, but it's going to happen for me. I'm going to do it overnight. I didn't do it overnight and I'm still working on it. So just understanding the, the process, the grind of what it takes to kind of get there, the marathon, as I always say, it's something that I try to remind myself of. And if I ever get in that dark space and I don't know what to do, I also try to look at people that have been successful and kind of what that process is like. And I think on my show, so many times I'll ask people like to hop in a time machine and, and talk to their younger business self. The question, the answer I would always have is like, let yourself know that it's not a straight line. Because I think so many times you quit before things start, before things can really get good because you think that it's a straight line. And as soon as you hit some type of turbulence or adversity, you think that you failed, but you haven't failed. You can still keep going just as so-and-so did. But if we don't hear those stories, we don't know about that. Then a lot of times we think that we should throw in a towel before we are even just getting started. I love that. And that's absolutely true. Actually, I was thinking about this earlier today. I think it was during my my yoga practice because one of the most important things I ever heard about yoga is that it's called a practice for a reason. Yoga is not something that you perfect necessarily. I've been doing yoga since I think I started in 2006. So it's been a long time and it's been a journey. And I'm, I don't do yoga to try to become some perfect yogi. I do it because it makes me feel good each time I do it. So that in itself is reward enough. And I think that's incredibly important in this conversation too, is we really need to focus on what we're enjoying. However, there are times where we don't enjoy it. And this also ties into yoga because sometimes I don't want to do it. Sometimes I'm bored, as Jason has talked about. <laughs> I remember when Jason told me he found yoga boring. I was like, what does he mean? And then I kept reflecting on it and realized, oh, I can I could totally relate to this. Sometimes it does feel boring. And I have to ask myself, well, why am I doing it? Well, I'm doing it, as I said, for that enjoyable experience as, as some or most of my yoga classes provide. But I also do it despite any discomfort, despite any boredom, because I know that over time it has a long-term effect on my body and my mind. And when I'm consistent with yoga, that's when I feel my best. And sometimes the consistency doesn't pay off for months. So if I for example, right now in 2021, 
I think I've done yoga every single day of this year so far. I'm not positive. I might have skipped a few days, but I have been very consistent. And only after about two, two and a half months did I start to really start to see results in my strength, in my flexibility, but also in my mind. Now, I think a lot of people will do something like a yoga practice and expect results much faster. And what I was reflecting on today is it's really too bad that when it comes to our health, when it comes to our businesses, when it comes to our relationships, so many of us have been conditioned to think that if you don't get results fast, then it probably isn't right for you. If you're not getting results from the way you're eating, you're probably eating the wrong foods. If you're not getting results from the way that you're working out, you're probably doing the wrong workout. If you don't feel like this relationship is perfect after a short amount of time, it's probably the wrong relationship. And then also, if you don't get results from your business, you must be doing it wrong. And we have this mentality where we want results within 30 days. Like how many times are we framed in all these different elements of our life to get something within 21 days, 30 days, sometimes even less. But really, it's rare that results happen that fast. How could you possibly judge whether something's right for you or whether something's going to lead to success in such a short amount of time? So I think what you're saying, Gresham, is so incredibly important to this conversation. And we have to constantly remind ourselves of this, even though we might know it on a, a logical level. Emotionally, we need the reminder. Jason and I have conversations about this podcast, about our brand Wellevator. It can be frustrating when you've been working on something for a while and you don't see the results that you expected. But that's another great time to examine. Like Nobody's guaranteeing you results. And if they are, you should be running the other direction because how could anyone possibly tell you what results you're going to get with your specific case? And that's been something I've had to learn the hard way that I've been promised all sorts of things romantically, physically, with my health, with, you know, with my business, like even mentally, because a lot of people want to frame things as, oh, you're guaranteed to get results, like, or your money back, or hey, follow my guidelines. If you do it exactly as I say, you're going to get these results. And what I would do is try to follow those strategies to a T And when I didn't get the results that I was promised, I thought I was doing something wrong. I thought there was something wrong with me because they said it was going to work. And now I'm of this mentality of, I don't believe that anymore. I think that's really just a lot of marketing speak. What comes up for me in this conversation too, Whitney, of consistency and doing the same things over and over and over and over again. God, who was it? Was it Winston Churchill? I might be totally making this up. No, I think it was. He said, success is moving from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. (sighs) Damn. Like, how many times, you know, is it like, you know, pick yourself up, dust yourself off and try again? I can't believe I'm quoting Aaliyah and Winston Churchill in the same sentence, but I just did. I just did. It is that mentality though, right? Of we look at Instagram, we look at social media, we see certain people that might be labeled an overnight success. And then we realize, uh, you know, an overnight success has a, a decade, 15 years, 20 years behind them when we really dig under the hood and we actually get to the truth of their story. And like you said, Gresham, that it's not a straight line. It's 
I don't know, it's a double decahedron. It's a twisty, it's something crazy. It's, it's definitely not linear. And I think to me, it's like whether or not it's the Churchill thing of moving from failure to perceived failure to failure, right? Or it's just doing the unglamorous things. Because to go back to social media, I think there's a big misnomer and why I've seen a lot of young people get into entrepreneurship because they'll see the Lambos, they'll see the Ferraris, they'll see the mansion, they'll see, you know, the hot girls, the hot guys, whatever. They'll see the watches, they'll see all, all the material external trappings of what it means to make it. And I was that dude, for sure. For sure I was. And then you get into your business and you realize that a lot of business and entrepreneurship is that consistency. It's doing the, quote, boring routine things over and over. Okay, every week I'm going to write my newsletter. I'm going to do three episodes a week. Got to do my SEO. Got to do my meta tags. Got to follow up on the emails. Got to eat right. Got to take care of myself. The routines can be, quote, very boring. But legit, I think it is the unglamorous parts that are going to really separate the people who hang in there and have longevity in, in this business versus the people who get in because they think, you know, after two years, they're going to get the Lambo and the house and the watch and, you know, the hot partner. But I think a lot of people give up because they realize a lot of this process is not glamorous at all. It's almost in some ways, I find at times excruciatingly rote and banal and repetitive. But that is the stuff that builds brick by brick, right? It really is. That's what builds the house. Gresham, without throwing an, anyone under the bus, I'm really curious, with you doing so many podcast episodes with people in the CEO space, do you hear a lot of cliche statements? And, and how often do you, for lack of a better term, like disagree with somebody, but you're, you know, you're respectful because they have a different perspective than you. But, you know, you must attract a lot of people that are conditioned to say a lot of these statements about success that maybe they just heard from somebody and they feel like that's the right thing to say on a podcast? Or is it completely different? Do you find that people are actually very self-aware and and saying unique things and not those cliches? Yeah, I think it definitely de it depends. And I won't throw anybody under the bus for sure. And uh, <laughs> I think I'm a marketing guy. So hearing a lot of other marketing people, often you'll hear a lot of those things as well, too, where I think and I, I usually try to do my part. Granted, it's a laser focus interview. So to try to drill down a little bit more and I try to bring the light, like even somebody that says that they've been successful in two years in their business, I try to bring back that they worked for seven years before that so that people can kind of understand that. So I try to help out with that because I think so many times we forget of the journey of ourselves, even if it's not in the same business of what it takes to go there. But yeah, I think people, you know, sometimes they say things that will attract people. And I understand that from a marketing perspective, but I feel like it's doing such a disservice to people that are starting businesses that have really great ideas that think that they're going to be successful in a year or in, you know, 30 minutes. And I try to redirect that as much as possible when I hear it, or I try to pull, you know, as much information that I can so that people can understand that it isn't a marathon. But yeah, I mean, people don't say it. And, and I think as, you know, it was already kind of said by Jason, I think that I was that person as well, too, where I have different things that I tried. And going back to like the question you asked earlier about 
what made me understand like what was in alignment. Sometimes it was for me trying so many different things because I thought it was easy. I thought I could do these hundred businesses and I would be successful and I would have the Lambo and all of those things. But in reality, I had to really understand that, okay, this is my lane. This is who I am. This is what I'm willing to work at for 20 years and maybe just get close to success. And when I answered that question, it made me adjust and filter like what I do and don't do on a different level. But yeah, I I try to redirect it, you know, on the podcast when people say that or drill down more to really understand that. And sometimes you get people to say more, but you know, you, you can only do so much. You can't, you can't answer the questions for them. Well, thank you for doing that. I mean, that shows a lot of integrity, I feel. And it's also, to your point, really helpful because I've certainly talked in marketing sound bites too. I think a lot of us feel like we need to. I was really refreshed when I watched the Oprah interview with Meghan Markle and, and Prince Harry because just hearing Meghan Markle speak so honestly and not in sound bites, it made me really emotional. Like I just thinking about it, like I, it brought up so many emotions for me. Did you watch that Gresham? I'm assuming from Jason's facial expressions, he has not watched it, but Gresham, did you watch it? I haven't watched it. I heard about it. I heard I need to watch. My girlfriend actually told me that I need to watch it. Yeah, there's some big things that were being said, I guess, there about her experience. And it is on my list. And she'll probably definitely make me watch it for sure. I recommend it. And, you know, by the time this episode comes out, for those listening, without for our context, it's March 12th. And the episode just came out less than a week ago. I think it came out this past Sunday. And... I mean, I was blown away by it because it feels so different than most of those conversations. And I think that's the other thing that is so important about that interview, because certainly there was racism at play. There was sexism. There was elitism. There's a lot of isms going on in that experience that Meghan Markle had and Prince Harry as well. He talked about his own experiences and It's like semi-shocking, but also not very surprising in a lot of ways. And I was so grateful for them being open because we need to hear that type of open dialogue. And I think one of the big themes is that there's a lot going on that we do not see in the media. We all know that, right? Again, on a logical level, we know that what we see on social media, what we see in magazines, what we see on television does not represent the whole of a person. And the people that seem happy are often, I think actually Meghan Markle said this, people with the biggest smiles might be going through some of the hardest times in their life. In fact, she gives an example of a media appearance that she had to do when she was on the verge of committing suicide. And first of all, to share that publicly was remarkable. But she had to go to this public appearance when she was considering that and her and she had just told her husband what she was thinking about and the mental challenges she was having and then yet what we see as the public is her looking perfect and beautiful and smiling and she said when the camera lights came on she was a completely different person but when the lights were off when the cameras weren't on her she was sobbing. And 
what an important thing for her to share with the world. And I wish that more people would speak up about that. To your point, Gresham, I don't want to hear these stories of overnight success. They do not serve us. And to your point that it's doing truly a disservice for us because as emotional human beings, we see these things, we take them and we internalize them. And I know for most of my life, I was seeing those messages of the quick fixes, buy this thing, get this result, buy this program, get results within X amount of time. I mean, like for me, a lot of like the health side comes up. I think about how as a a little girl, I would see the magazine articles about how to get flat abs. And it was always about like, just work out for five minutes a day for this amount of time and you'll get flat abs. I have never had flat abs in my entire life, literally never, despite everything I've tried. So if I added up all those perceived failures, I would think that I'm doing something wrong because I tried all those other things and none of them work. So something must be wrong with me because marketing's telling me that they work for others. But I think the truth is that a lot of these things don't actually work. It's just false advertising. And like you said, it's completely true in business as well. And it's really sad. And to your point too, Jason, are people saying that just to boost up their egos and get validation because they believe that if they can convince somebody that their success was either easy or special or formulaic, then maybe they'll get that pat on the back that they really want. But if we really step back, each of us and anyone else listening as entrepreneurs, like we are doing ourselves and others a disservice by positioning ourselves like that just to get that momentary benefit from that marketing. Yeah, the terminology that comes up to that that I suppose I hear a lot from quote successful entrepreneurs and and business leaders is the idea of being self-made. You know, that seems to be a thing that people are like, I'm self-made, I pulled myself, I bootstrapped it. Like Whitney and I do this clubhouse room and we hear we hear these terms a lot come up, bootstrapping, you know, grew from zero to nine figures, self-made. But what comes up for me when I hear that terminology, specifically self-made, is it's like we live in a completely intimate, interwoven tapestry of fellow human beings on this planet. So it's like, what does self-made even mean? Does that mean nobody helped you on your journey? You didn't have a mentor. You didn't have a coach. You didn't have anybody, again, proverbially speaking, patting you on the back, pushing you forward. I mean, nobody creates in a vacuum completely, you know, whether that's our partners, our girlfriends, again, a mentor, a coach. We've got everybody I know has somebody in their corner, at least one person in their corner. And so when I hear self-made, it bothers me because I think it distorts, again, it distorts this idea of what it means to be an entrepreneur, that you're literally just working in a vacuum with no help and no support from anybody ever. And it's like, no, at a certain point you scale, you get a VP, you get a creative director, you get a COO, you know, at, at some point you scale and you be successful. You got people on your team helping. So I don't know, maybe I'm misinterpreting the term self-made, but I, I take umbrage with it because I feel it's used in a misleading way often to purport an idea that someone has been locked away in a bubble somewhere and then just, you know, pooped out $10 million. Like, yeah, 15 years later, I just, here's $10 million. And I did it all in this plastic bubble with no help from anyone. It's like, that's not reality. I don't know. That's my impression of it. And and I guess, Gresham, I'm curious with all the CEOs and the people that you work with, 
is that something that comes up? Do you people, do you see people talking about being self-made and do they use it and position that terminology in a way to kind of, I don't know, pump themselves up a little bit? Does that ever come up for you in your interviews? Yeah. I mean, I think you hear it sometimes when people, you know, you hear their bios, I'm self-made millionaire or, or billionaire, whatever that might be, whatever, you know, status they, they make it to. I think that as we were, as you, Whitney said, you know, a lot of times I feel like, I feel like we all have tools that we can use in our life and in our business. And we talked about, you know, the personality test, for example, and how that tool could potentially use to create you know, a bad culture and a bad environment. I feel like the same thing could be said, you know, for using a phrase like self-made, it has an opportunity to to build somebody else up. But at the same time, you can say self-made as because I'm better than you because you've taken 10 years in order to build your business. So you're somehow incomplete. You somehow haven't done enough. So let me sell you my, you know, 999, whatever coaching program or whatever it might be. And I think that's where it comes down to, I guess, the morals of us as individuals and what we're doing. It, it, I guess we're stewards in, in so many different ways where you have been able to reach that success, but you don't necessarily go into exactly what it took to get there. You don't talk about the failures and the mistakes and things that you didn't do well in order to get to that level. And that's something that I feel like to some degree, sometimes it's the person, but I also feel like from, I guess, a society standpoint, it's a lot more a soundbite headline rather than a deep dive type of conversations and content that we're taking in, which is why I love, you know, what you both have been able to do in building. Because as Jason said, like entrepreneurship is hard as hell. Like there's so many different things that you have to juggle and worry about. If you don't really get an idea of the totality of what it is to run a business, if you see self-made, you know, nine figures, three years, you're going to say, okay, in three years, then I'm going to be able to do the same thing. But you don't see the 10 years or you don't see that that person is, you know, 75 years old and it took them that much time to build up, you know, all of those things in order to start a business. And I think that's just, it's so important for us to kind of be stewards in so many different shapes or fashion and forms. I think it's difficult because of the media, because of the sound bites and the the information that's available to us. But I think we all should know or should be reminded of doing more of a deep dive and reading more about like those specific people that we look up to. Like even like I talked about um, from a personality standpoint, personality test, it's not just one personality test I try to do. I try to do multiple things and try to measure all those things up. I think we should do that in so many different aspects because we don't get the the reality of what it takes to be successful and it doesn't happen overnight. And it's a shame. And I feel bad for you know anybody who thinks that because I feel like it kind of caps what could be creating what could be done in this world. So that's what I, you know, hopefully try to do in the interviews. I want to talk about nature versus nurture really quickly in terms of when a person chooses to start a new creative endeavor, a new business, whatever it may be, become basically step away from the model of, and when I say this, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with uh, being an employee or a traditional nine to five office job or remote work as we're recording this episode. But I, I've always been very curious because I had a I had a recent conversation with my mom about the temptation I feel sometimes to go back to the the perceived, right? The perceived security, the illusion, I suppose, of security of, you know, the benefits and the salary and the nine to five job. And and my previous life, I started off in the marketing and advertising world. I was a copywriter 
for advertising agencies and marketing agencies. And I did that for about a decade right out of college. And sometimes I do, I have the, I have, I have, you know, I get tempted. It's like, you know, the, the, the little guy on my shoulder is like, no, but there's benefits and security and it'll be easier and you'll be able to sleep better. Go back to it. And again, not that there's anything wrong with that choice. I do not want to besmirch anyone who chooses to, to have that as their income model at all. But in the nature versus nurture conversation, you know, I, re- I remember when I left my last gig, God, over 11 years ago before I, I became a full-time entrepreneur was, I don't think I can do this again. I remember saying that to myself and saying that to my mom and some other friends of like, I don't, there was something in me that was like, I don't think I can like take orders from someone else. I don't think I can help someone else become rich. Like I, I, there's something in me that wants to be born. There's something in me that wants to be expressed. And even if it's hard as hell, and even if I feel ground down and destroyed by life, I have to somehow express this thing in me and bring it to the world. Right. And I'm curious, you know, do you both think that that's something that's sort of how do I say this? Almost like a genetic impulse of that level of independence and freedom and drive. Or is it something that might happen through a series of events over our life where we're conditioned and nurtured to maybe head down that path? Because it's not for everyone. And and I'm not saying that to separate the three of us and say we're better than everyone, but it really is not for everyone. As you said, Gresham, it's, it's hard. It's wonderful and it's rewarding and it's creative and it's exciting, but it's tough. And so do you guys believe, is it a nature nurture thing or a combination of both that would drive someone to be an artist, be an entrepreneur and start their own thing and go through all the the beauty and hellishness that comes with it? From my perspective, Jason, I think, I think it is more of a nurture. I think after reading books like Selfie, which you brought up initially and we talked about a while back on the show. But one of my bigger takeaways from Selfie is that it's a very generational thing that is happening right now with social media in that each generation kind of has their own set of perspectives on life and also trauma. And another book I'm listening to right now, which is completely blowing my mind when it comes to trauma and parenting, by the way, it's called Adults of Emotionally Immature Parents, something like that. I'll put it in the show notes at wellevator.com along with anything else we mention for the listener. We have a full transcript of this episode. We have the YouTube version of this episode. And we have links to everything that we mentioned, including Gresham's podcast at wellevator.com, which is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And in there, I will include this book, Selfie, which I think is a must read if you're interested in the psychology and the roots of things like our preoccupation with ourselves and why we might be or per- or people might perceive us as being narcissistic. And it's also interesting to read books about different generations and how parents believed they should parent. And I think, Jason, that a lot of the parents that are around our parents' age, um, they didn't have a lot of emotional tools they didn't necessarily get a lot of support from their parents. And that could either lead them to be really harsh and intense with us. Maybe they have really high expectations. They want us to be high achievers. And I think that's why a lot of people that are in their mid-40s or younger may have this like big obsession with 
being self-made, making a lot of money, being successful. I think parenting has a huge influence on that. And then the even younger generations growing up with all these examples, as we've been talking about, they've been marketed this. They have been drawn to careers as influencers. In fact, I think for teens right now, being a social media influencer is one of the top career paths. I don't quote me on it because I don't know the statistics, but I've seen this in multiple places and articles that I've read that teens really want to be YouTubers. They want to be Instagrammers. They want to be TikTokers. They want to do that full time. They want to be their own bosses. They don't want to make money from others. And I think also the pandemic has probably influenced a lot of that too, is that that desire to not have to depend on somebody else to make money. That's another element here. And it's something worth examining for you and me, Jason. I'm curious, Gresham, about your experiences too. It's like, why are we drawn to working for ourselves? Is it that we're destined for greatness or is it that we don't have the patience to deal with rules and we don't, we know we don't have to, we have the tools to start our own businesses at home in our pajamas Truly, we have so many abilities to make money online now. Like, why would we bother going to work if we can make just as much money, if not more, from home? But of course, to your point, Jason, it's not as easy as it looks. And it's not going to be for everybody. And I'm super curious what's going to happen for the younger generations and their experiences of this, because I wonder... Well, just as not everybody can be a CEO, not everybody can, you know, wants to be their own CEO, right? Like, so it'll be interesting to me, like, what is going to happen for the job force when people are getting so fed up working these traditional nine to fives or working retail or, or, you know, all these different career paths that are more structured? If a lot of people abandon those jobs, then how does our society even function? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like we need people to work at grocery stores and to drive Ubers and to serve us food at restaurants and and see CEOs need employees. Like we can't do it all on our own or we don't want to. But so what's going to happen with the percentages of people increasing wanting to work for themselves and start their own businesses? Yeah, I think that's interesting. You know, what could potentially happen, you know, from, you know, so many people that are are thinking about starting the businesses and and feel like they have it in them. Cause I feel like it's a combination of both. It's like the nature and the the nurture and the nature. And I, I almost feel like kind of like what we've been talking about, I, I feel like it's okay to to want to be an employee and you know, want to move up the corporate ladder or whatever success means to you. I, I think most of the disservices people don't know what it means or what it doesn't mean. There's a trade-off for everything. To start a business, you have a trade-off. A lot of times, if you're going to do it and you're going to do it well, at least, you're going to potentially not be able to do a lot of the personal things. And, and, and some of those things have to go by the wayside. So you have to balance and see, okay, this is my vision. This is what I want to do. This is what I'm deciding to do. This is what may be the trade-off, whether that be an employee or starting a business. But I think you're absolutely right, Wendy, where so many people, I think if we really drill down, 
people are unhappy. And I think that's what we really kind of have to look at. I think a lot of times people think that they see an Instagram clip and they believe that that will make them happy, but they're not really understanding what happiness is and how to find that in their lives. So they're chasing this thing or that thing in order to happen. And that manifests itself in jobs, relationships. You know, it, it can manifest itself in so many different ways. But I think if we don't really understand happiness, that fulfillment, and kind of look into ourselves and understand understand our gifts, understand if maybe we do have tendencies to be more entrepreneurial. And if we cultivate that, we can you know, be better. If we understand that, hey, maybe I'm a really great artist and I did that since I was five years old and let me cultivate that a little bit more, I could potentially be great at that. You get to make the decision on what you do or what you don't do. But I think we do have that that um, that um, nature, which is our natural tendency and gifts. But I think that nurture comes in and how that's cultivated into who we're going to end up being. And I think so many times when we make those decisions of, oh, I'm going to take this path, we don't realize the real journey that it takes to get there. And that's where we end up having people bounce back and forth. And I was that person as well. So I was a person that bounced around to different jobs. And it wasn't until I realized that I wasn't being fulfilled no matter where I went, that I had to really do some introspective thought into like, what is actually going to make it? What do I really want to do? And, and for me, I felt like I had some fear around starting a business. And I had to really like face that and look at my environment as well, too. And that's what led me to feel more fulfillment. And I don't think that fulfillment is necessarily a Lambo or things like that. It's fulfillment that comes internally, not externally. And I think that is always, you know, a process that I go through and it's something that I continue to have to fight through. But I think that if I can stay true to that, then that'll help me not get caught up in like what I should be doing, if that makes sense. Yeah, it resonates big time, big time. And and I think it comes back to Gresham to encapsulate how I feel about what you just said, defining and getting very clear, and this can be an evolving definition, of what success and fulfillment means to us, not what it means to you or Whitney or our parents or our clergy or our society or our partners, right? Because all of that can be very influential. But I think one of the most courageous things, to your point, is to do the difficult work to look inside of ourselves and ask, what is it I'm actually doing this for? You know, we hear start with why, but really, I mean, high quality questions and really cracking ourselves open and going like, what am I doing this for? Why am I doing this? What is it? Why am I? And on those hard, hard nights or weeks or months, why am I putting myself through this? What is the greater good of all this? And to your point, you know, maybe it's not the Lambo anymore. Maybe it's not the giant mansion. Maybe it's not the watch and the followers on Instagram. Because on some level, you know, external validation is not a sustainable thing. It's almost like a drug. You know, we just want more and more and more and more of it. So this journey of starting a business, of being an entrepreneur, of, of being your own CEO, of doing the creative work, I feel, you know, our conversation today whether or not anyone has necessarily like a spiritual practice or a spiritual belief, I really feel like for me, my journey into entrepreneurship and conversations like this are kind of part of my spiritual practice in the sense of I get to know more about who I am as a being, right? Not, not you know, when I say spiritual, I don't necessarily mean like, I mean, yes, I meditate because it helps me with my mental health, but I guess my point is in encapsulating this episode that this journey of business, entrepreneurship, artistry, creativity, it's so, I believe, deep down, we can know ourselves better. And man, that's a never-ending journey. That really just has no end point. 
So boy, oh boy, this has been a deep and beautiful and soulful episode with you, Gresham. And for the listener, for you to dig deeper into Gresham and his work, we will link again, as Whitney said, to his podcast, I Am CEO. We'll link to Gresham's website and all of his pertinent links if you want to dig more into his work in the world and find out what he is creating in terms of his goodness and uh, uplifting others through business and creativity in his writing. There's so much goodness that we're going to link to in our show notes again at our website, which is wellevator.com. It's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. We'll have all of the books and articles and documentaries we referenced in this episode, along with all of Gresham's links so you can follow up with him. And it's just been a really wonderful exploration with you, man. Thank you for taking the time today. Thank you for riding the waves of the technical difficulties and, and just being with us and, and sharing your story and who you are. It's been really delightful. Yeah, we loved having you. And, and thank you for being such a positive influence in this space. When I was on your podcast, it really resonated with me. It was one of the best podcasts I've ever been on because you have such a positive presence and you do it in, in a, I don't want to say polished, although I do believe it is polished, but you do it in, a, in an intentionally polished way. I'll say that like you're, you've created a great structure and you know how to approach this without it being too transactional, which I think is a very special thing that you've done given how many episodes you've recorded and how many people you've had, it, it can be very easy to just get into a rhythm where you fall out of alignment with why you're doing it. And you've just made a big impact on, on me and now Jason and hopefully our listeners. And we really appreciate you being here and all the work that you're doing. Absolutely. I appreciate, you know, getting the opportunity to be on as well. You guys are doing phenomenal things. This is something that's not talked about enough. So I appreciate you for being stewards in that way. And 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 thank you for allowing me to share the mic for a little bit. And we were definitely resilient. So we got a chance to do this. And, and I appreciate you so much for, for, for the opportunity. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.